Hello and welcome to the Shape of Work, a podcast series by Springworks. My name is Anoop and I am your host. Each week we'll be talking to top people managers across the world on the future of work and how it's shaping our workplace. So sit back and get ready to find out more from these movers and shakers as we have a no holds barred anything goes conversation with them about their journey, their insights, their thoughts, and most importantly their ideas and vision for the workplace of the future. Join in on the conversation. Leave a comment and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shape of Work podcast. Today we have as our guest Mr. Sabya Sachi Das who is working as the managing director of NanoHeal. Hi Sabi, thank you for coming and joining us today. Hi Aprajita, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So just to set some context for our lovely listeners, could you please take us through your career journey so far? Sure. So I've been in the industry, the IT industry since 1994. So I guess that makes me a corporate dinosaur, if you will. Uh-huh. Right? But <laughs> over the course of nearly three decades now in the IT industry, and I've sort of played roles across multiple functions, uh, you know, from customer support to sales to marketing and communications to delivery to, you know, center, region and global management leadership roles. All right. And I say this in jest. That uh, other than HR and finance, uh, you know, I probably played every possible uh, role, every possible function. Okay. Though when you manage a multi-billion-dollar P&L, uh, these functions, even HR and finance, sort of become critical components of uh, what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, also been very fortunate to have had the opportunity to uh, live and work in the U.S. and the exotic Philippines. Uh, apart from working in India and you know a couple of locations, Mumbai, Bangalore, and so on. So you know, in the process, sort of get to experience different cultures and environments, and you know, it's been a huge part of my learning as well. That's quite a vibrant experience you have. So, like you've already mentioned, you have years of experience having industrial exposure for different roles, right? And you have also emphasized how hard you worked and invested yourself to reach your positions and goals. So, what are your key strategies or learnings that fuels you to hustle in a world of such rapid developments and keep pace with it? Uh, strategy seems like a big word, right? Uh, not sure anyone you know, comes up with a strategy and executes, I guess, over a period of time, you do things and it sort of falls into a pattern and a routine and, you know, you find out what works best for you. So, you know, happy to share some of the things I sort of follow or I try to stick to, right? I have something called a five-hour rule, right? Mm-hmm. I read that somewhere. I don't remember where I came across it, but basically it's about finding five hours in a week, right? It's not too much to ask for really, uh, you know, five hours in a week to sort of, uh, you know, get some quiet time and read. Right. So what I do is I get to office early. I try try to get in before everybody else does uh, and get use that quiet time to read up a bit. So so that's my five hour rule. Uh, the second thing I've learned over the course of my career is networking. Right. Not just to build connects and make friends. Obviously, that's a, a pleasant byproduct, but also just getting in touch with the industry peers, your your friends in the industry and your competitors, uh, you know, players, even in the adjacent uh, spaces to what you're doing, right? Sort of, uh, you know, increases the exposure many fold and tells you what's happening in and around you, right? And you never know what comes and impacts you, your industry, your work and stuff. So so networking is something that I've consciously tried to do as the years have gone by, uh, right? Uh, I've also tried to take breaks. Uh, it's always nice to go on vacations and holidays, but it sort of recharges you and uh, you know, when you come back to work, you're again ready to give 100% every day, right? Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, a tired mind is no good, right? So so breaks are important. 
Uh, I try to uh, sort of bring in some exercise into my daily schedule, right? Even if it's just taking a few calls uh, while walking, uh, right? Or while, uh, you know, working out in the gym. Uh, but but exercise is great. In fact, some of the best ideas I get are while walking. So so I think that's something that's worked well for me. Uh, and finally, you know, one of my colleagues actually told me, right? And, and I love that phrase. It's called, he calls it the sit on the rock time, right? Okay. Very, very often what happens is uh, we get so involved in the day-to-day -day transactions and the job we do and stuff that, you know, we don't sit back and reflect on what we're doing, whether it's right, wrong, what can we do better, you know, and things like that. So just sitting, getting some quiet time to yourself and sitting on the rock uh, and just reflecting on what, yeah. what you can do better and just clear, or even just clearly or simply clearing your mind as to Perhaps how to go. Even but, yeah. admiring your surroundings. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that, that helps a lot. Like, and look, like I said, it's not a, prescription by any stretch of uh, imagination but you know something that some of the things that i try and fit into my uh, way of working uh, at mm -hmm. the end of the day you know you got to find what works best for you that's amazing i think you have a very refreshing lifestyle and that sort of lifestyle does add to your productivity and growth and that's something people must learn and in such a fast-paced world right now so absolutely so um, we've all witnessed the onset of AI and mass integration of tech in the industry. It's like so booming right now. So how do you think we should be preparing for future industrial roles that could be drastically different from now? Yeah, so that's that's a, uh, you know, that's a tough question and something that learning and development organizations in the corporate world, right? So they're struggling with as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, and they would wish or I would wish I had a magic wand that I could just swish and or even a crystal ball that I gaze into and tell you that this is what you need to do to uh -huh. sort of prepare for the future. Right. Yeah. Um, give you like the perfect prediction. So, uh, so look, but, but let me sort of lay it out as I see it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I think it's fair to say that the world is changing and changing very fast. Uh, it's also fair to say that uh, technology is enabling and even propelling that change. And yeah. the rate of change we're going to see is only going to increase as we move forward, right? So, so in a fast changing and in such a dynamic world, it's very hard to predict what will come next, right? It's hard mm -hmm. to predict which technology will hold sway over the next few years. It's hard to predict uh, what will be the next new disruptive technology, right? But it's fair to say that there will be some new technology that will come and disrupt the way we work, right? Take, uh, take for example, you know, just when we were settling down and, you know, being comfortable and had taken it for granted that Google is the way you search, right? There comes chat GPT on our GPT-4, which is dramatic. Yeah, right. Which has dramatically altered our expectations from search, mm -hmm. right? So, so, you know, and that's sort of getting into uh, the enterprises and, and so on and so forth. So, so that's just an example of how disruptive a technology can be and something that is so established sort of now is uh, at the edge. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, and also I, to, yeah, yeah I, think, uh, <laughs> I think people are also anticipating like they might go unemployed or there's a like a, you know, gloomy uncertainty that is prevailing around the industry as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, I have, I have a sort of a strong opinion on that. And I guess many people do, and I'll come to that in a minute, yeah. right? But just, uh, just to complete my mm -hmm. view on uh, what's changing, how you get into the future and then we'll talk about 
you know losing jobs and stuff or the fear mm-hmm. of losing jobs right you know let me let me give you a data point right so in the late 50s right the mm-hmm. average average lifespan of a you know standard and poor 500 company was 61 years right, right? that is to say that a company existed for 61 years a company that made up the s&p 500 index right so these are large companies you're talking about today guess what it is it is 18 years so from 61 to 18 you know so that tells you a story that look the disruption is happening at a much faster change right, right? so you, you know companies don't exist forever the 100 year old companies and stuff and there are still a few of those around mm. but but the average lifespan today and and you're talking of large companies you're talking of companies that make up the s&p 500 index right so these are not fly by night operators so they they exist for 18 years on an average so so you know so the point i'm trying to make is that the world is changing fast right mm-hmm. and the best one can do to prepare himself or herself is to be a lifelong learner right uh, you know what you learn is up to you it is to the space that you are interested in the space that you're working in uh, you know that adjacencies that impact you uh, so that's what uh, i would say to be a lifelong learner ask questions right one of my bosses used to say go three levels down i would say you know why three four five right you know just like keep the childlike curiosity alive in you just the kids they keep keep on asking you why this but why but why right so keep that childlike curiosity alive in you you know and uh, so that's going to help you being being curious being a lifelong l- long learner and the other thing is to sort of be aware right you know wake up and smell the coffee right keep your eyes and ears open right you never know what impacts you right and i'll give you another example where um, we all know or or some of you may have heard of the company kodak right they wow. were the leaders in photography right cameras and mm-hmm. and stuff like that now and guess what they produced the world's first digital slr the world's first digital consumer camera right but they were too blindsided and probably too complacent by the success and they ignored that shift or the they didn't sort of pay heed to the you know, potential opportunities or the potential disruption and mm-hmm. and guess what they nearly don't exist today, right so you know and and i'm probably simplifying it uh, and it's far more complex than it you know as it really transpired yeah. yeah yeah but but look the, the point is that it's being open to change it's been willing to change willing to adapt to the new realities and sort of being a lifelong learner so so that's really what you can do to set yourself up for a for a long race right like they say life is a marathon not a sprint so it's not one technology you can learn and you know because for all you know that that technology or that skill may have a runway of let's say 5 years or 10 years so what next right so so i think it's being a lifelong learner that's going to stand you in good stead and yeah. and okay so coming back to uh, right your point about job losses right. right look every time there is a disruption there is this fear right mm-hmm. uh, i mean uncertainty has its impact and this is one of them yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah right so um but but take some examples right so when the horse carriage was replaced by the automobiles by the cars right oh my god what's going to happen to uh, all the people that drive horses and you know all those kinds of fear uh, came into being right or or when but but look at what happened the automobile industry right continues to churn out jobs after jobs after jobs right so that's one example the other one is the telephone this thing when when we shifted from the wired and the landline infrastructure to the mobile networks right there was again this fear that oh my god so many jobs are going to be lost but look the mobile industry what has it done right it's only created more jobs so so i think every time there is a technology shift uh, or something new that comes about there is ecosystem that get, gets built around it and uh, you know it it 
to me, it generates more opportunities, more jobs than you end up losing. What, what may happen though in the immediate future is that they may need, there, there will be some job losses mm-hmm. for sure, right? Right. And the uh, and the skills needed to get those new opportunities or to take advantage of those new opportunities, new jobs that will come about will be different from what you have today. And that's why uh, the willingness and the ability to learn is going to help you take advantage of the new opportunities that come and knock on your door. So, so I I don't think the number of opportunities per se will reduce. I think they will only increase. It is your willingness and your readiness to take advantage of those opportunities. I think that will hold you in good stead. That's a very well point said. I do agree that adaptability is the most important factor right now in this such a changing time. And I think that is what takes an individual forward or an organization forward and just, you know, continue to survive. (laughs) So, Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about employee engagement, which is so important in a company because it just keeps fiddling around, right? So what should be involved in the strategic planning process for improving such employee engagement for a company? Yeah, look, employee engagement, you will see it in many shapes and form. And I think it's perhaps more important now than it's ever been, um, especially with the hybrid way of working and yeah. with uh, yeah, with, with employees, employers sort of trying to get people back to work more and more. You know, there's data and research showing that innovation, right? Uh, and collaboration takes a back, uh, takes a beating uh, uh, when you have people dispersed as opposed to when people are working together, right? So, uh, so there's data and research that's backing that stance. So, so employers want people to sort of come back to work. Employees, on the other hand, right, want the flexibility to work from home or probably even decide when they want to come to work, right? So, I think the the sweet spot's probably going to be somewhere in between, right? And mm-hmm. employers almost have to earn the return of work of employees. Right to the uh-huh. workplace. So, so, so that that shift we are going through that metamorphosis right now, if you will. And uh, uh, you know, when employees do come back to work, right? If the experience isn't good, right? Then they may not want to come to work, right? What do they get out of coming to work if they don't enjoy being at the workplace, right? So they may not even decide not to come to work, but they may even leave the company for other opportunities, other jobs that provide them that flexibility, right? So, so employee engagement now, I think, has sort of an added dimension or an added challenge to address. So it's an important, you know, part of, I want to say, you know, if I can call it the benefits of a workplace. And um, of course, companies have to look at how to engage employees in a hybrid hybrid mode when employees are still remote. But I think there is a lot that can be done to add to the charm of the workplace, right? So having said that, uh, you know, your question was, uh, you know, what goes into a strategic planning for employee engagement, right? Right. So, uh, look, I think, you know, it has to start with setting clear objectives and clear goals. What is it that we want to achieve out of our employee engagement program? Why are we doing this? Right. And and truth be told, it may appear that many companies have employee engagement programs simply to tick the box or, or, or simply to have fun. And that's all right if that's objective, you know, that is to have fun, right? But but then don't expect employee engagement to create employee loyalty or or to meet any of the other objectives, right? So to me, a good start would be to answer that why, right? Why are we doing this? Why why do we need to have an employee engagement program in the first place, right? So that's that's the first thing that uh, I think need to be kept in mind. And then once objective is clear, then how you go about it sort of kind of is a good follow through. Now the second thing that I want to second point I want to make is that. 
I've seen many organizations make it top down, right? These are the programs we're going to run. This is what we will do and you will participate. That doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they sort of box into, into a very limiting, very constrained program and they expect mm-hmm. that every employee is going to come and participate and is going to like make one big success out of it. And look, employees participate because some have to. And truth be told, it's only a limited few employees that really participate and get excited about that program because maybe that thing strikes a chord with them, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it never gains mass adoption if you make it top down. So yeah. to me, right, to me, a better option is to uh, sort of make it ground up, right? Uh, it, a, a more successful employee or the more successful employee engagement programs I've seen are by the people and for the people, right? Understand what people want and let them drive it. Give them the autonomy to decide what, what are the programs they want to, be, want to do, right? Uh, and how they want to do it. And there will be greater ownership and greater buying that way. And the corporate police should just simply establish the guardrails uh, within which uh, the employees need to operate, right? So these are things we right. cannot do. These are things we can do, but really let the employees decide how they want the workplace to be, right? It is mm-hmm. finally what everybody as an as employees, right? E- what everybody makes of the workplace that makes a place vibrant and dynamic and more interesting to work. So, so to me, uh, it starts with clear objectives of what you want to do and then letting people really run and drive this. It's, it's not an HR or a biggest business program. It has to be people-led. Is, is what I strongly feel. It's like let employees have their voice, let them show them what they want and just bring about all together. And I think that's amazing thing you just said. I think a lot of organizations could use that, you know, down to up method you just said. And that's amazing. So now I know for thing you have a lot of positivity, a lot of optimistic, you know, energy in you. So a thing about gratitude makes it very hard for today's youth as well. And as for many managers, uh, very difficult to carry on. So how would you advise on having an optimistic attitude towards work and life? Yeah, that almost sounds like something, uh, you know, more appropriate for the God men to answer, right? <laughs> but so I'm not sure uh, I'm qualified to do that. But we do take a lot of things for granted, right? And gratitude is a virtue that uh, isn't very common or it sort of dawns on you a little bit later in life. But but let me sort of share my perspective of whatever is worth, right? And um, I want to share two words, right? Uh, that sort of have been my mantra, if you will, right? I find them very meaningful, very relevant. And some of my old teammates may have even heard this from me. But the two words that um, uh, I sort of keep in mind uh, very often are Meraki and Wabi Sabi, right? And and I'll talk about those one by one. So Meraki is uh, sort of derived from the Greek language and sort of translates to the essence of yourself, right? And, And it means doing something with soul, with love, right? With passion. So whatever, and I always say this, whatever you do, right? Leave a part of yourself in in that job, in that work, right? And there's too much made out of doing what you love, right? Honestly, how many of us really get to do what we love, right? If you were to start from a blank slate and, you know, forget your education background, forget the job opportunities. And if you ask, what is it that you want to do in life? right? Mm-hmm. And then compare it with what you're doing, right? The intersection of that would be would be very small, right? right. Yeah, you know, I'm a sports buff and I'm good. let me give you an example from cricket, right? So India loves cricket, right? Every, every Indian probably considers himself or herself to be a cricket pundit in his own 
or <laughs> right. in his or her own right, right? Whether you played a ball or, you know, or faced a ball or bowled a ball, right? You are a pundit, right? Every Indian can vouch for that, right? And I, and I bet you, right, everyone would love to be a Harsha Bogle. And I'm saying Harsha Bogle because I, I think realistically speaking, nobody can't be, I mean, everybody can't be a Tendulkar or a Kohli or a Dhoni, right? Mm-hmm. But, but you know, because we love to talk, because we love to share a perspective, everybody would love to be a Harsha Bogle and go commentate on cricket matches. But, you know, for me, that's certainly my dream job, if you will, right? But guess right. what, right? I don't have it. And, you know, how many people will have it, right? So, so it's very hard to get the job that you love, right? So I actually flip it on its head and say, you know, you got to love what you do as opposed to doing what you love, right? Because that's a more real, realistic scenario, right? And what I, what I say is that whatever you do, right, give it your best, right? Every single day when I walk into office, right, I think, what, I, what can I do to make it better for me, for my team, for my customers, and for everybody that we that has a stake in what we do, right? So, so and I love doing what I do, right? I come, when I come back, home, right? And I look look myself in the mirror, right? I want to be happy that I've given it my best, right? So I certainly belong to the school of thought that says, love what you do, right? And what you do, do it with, and when you do that, when you love what you do, you do it with soul, you give it your best, you do it with passion, right? And, Mm -hmm. And that's where the word, and that's where the word Miraki comes in, right? So that's the first word I wanted to leave the listeners with. The second one is Wabi Sabi, right? This is a Japanese word and it, it means flawed beauty, right? Oh. Or, or the beauty and the appreciation of things that are imperfect and impermanent, mm-hmm. right? And, and when you think about it, right, uh, in life, in any, any situation, right, it'll only be an exception where you will have all the time that you need, all the resources that you need, all the people that you need, all the money that you need to do what you need to do. Right? It's only uh, an exception, right? It'll probably happen in a rare occasion that you will have everything that you need to do your job well, right? Most of the time, you will not have enough time, you will not have enough money, not have enough people, not have enough yeah. resources to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's important to accept that reality, right? The reality of the situation and, and make the best out of it. Like they say, you cannot really uh, sort of decide the hand that you're dealt with. Right. But what you do, how you play the hand is what makes all the difference. Right. And mm-hmm. again, giving an, an example from sports. Right. So a few years back, I think about two, two and a half years back, the Indian cricket team went to Australia. Right. And, and touring Australia has been always tough. And uh, guess what happened? Right. After the first match, India lost its captain who had to mm-hmm. come back home for some personal reason. Right. And the captain, the star player. And then over the course of the series. Right. They lost eight of their frontline players, eight of the players who would have made the playing 11, right? Wow. And, and from a position of losing or being 36 all out or some really low score that they got bundled out for, right? To really going on and winning the series and winning the last match in, on a ground where Australia had not lost a match for 32 years with a team that did not have its first choice, I mean, eight of its first choice players, right, is something that was far from ideal. But yet they did it because they made the most out of a situation uh, that they would sort of found themselves in, right? So it's about about that. It's about about having the right attitude, not giving up, giving it your best, going into every situation with whatever resources you have, right, and and making the most out of it. So, So these two words, Meraki and Wabi Sabi, resonate 
very well with me and i wanted to leave that in terms of uh, you know in the, in the context of being grateful for what you have right and and making the most of it so so many of us can consider ourselves blessed we may not have everything that we dream of but i think we have way more than what many others have and i think if you are grateful towards life it brings in that positivity and that energy to sort of help you uh, wade your way through life that's amazing thank you for sharing all the lovely experiences and i'm sure there is a lot of takeaway for our listeners so much positivity and so much good talk so this brings us to the end of the podcast thank you so much sabi it was lovely hosting you today thank you aprajit it was a pleasure talking to you